Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Seeking Stories podcast. Uh, today, Kristen and I are discussing uh, a movie that we discovered fairly recently. It's uh, called The Man from Uncle. It's based off a 1960s show uh, of the same name. Um, and it's one that was kind of released without too much fanfare in 2015. So it's 2018 if you're listening to this episode this year. Um, so it's not you know um, too old, uh, really. Um, but it's one that's flown, I think, under the radar uh, for, for most. Um, so we, we discovered it recently, and uh, we, we debated whether to do a, a podcast on it, because well, it's one of those movies that... I think I convinced you. Right. <laughs> I was like, we should do a podcast on it. You were like, really? Well, in, in my mind, I'm trying to think of what... Because what, um, the purpose of this Course Seeking Stories podcast is to uh, learn storytelling through stories. So whether that's books, movies, TV shows, other art forms... Uh, we don't just want to discuss or review, um, you know, put do, do like movie reviews, but see, okay, what can we learn about storytelling that we can either apply or not apply uh, to stories so that hopefully you can, you know, do likewise. And um, I guess the first thing I want to talk about is how it fits what I would call um, the the number seven movie. You know, if, if you're on a rating scale of one to ten in a movie, oh. it's uh, the movie that would be, you know, it, it's... It's definitely not a masterpiece by any means, but it's not it's not junk either. I would uh, f- you know, fit this into the same category as something like a National Treasure uh, okay. or a, um, a G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra movie. Your life is not going to be... Likely is your life is not going to be changed by watching the, these movies. There's no... But it's worth rewatching. Deep themes. But yeah, for some reason, we just keep rewatching them. Like National Treasure, I've seen probably 20 times. Yeah. Uh, Man from Uncle, I've seen three times now. Um, I actually watched it twice in the last week. Um, which with having children is hard to do. Find time to watch a movie once, let alone oh, twice. Oh, you watched it again without me, didn't you? Yeah, just, just to, to kind of get a better grasp of, you know, the, the storytelling elements. Um, and even, you know, the movie G.I. Joe, which, you know, isn't a great movie by any means. It's just fun. Um, Although I would rank, uh, not, I don't know about rating, but as far mm-hmm. as, like, quality, I think this does top G.I. Joe. Oh, it does. It does yeah. for, for sure. Um, but it got me thinking, you know, what, what about these movies makes them so much fun and are so rewatchable in a way when there's really there's no deep themes there there's really nothing of or not too much of substance on the you know on the um you know at least on the surface level in a way you really have mm-hmm. to dig dig deep for it yeah and the thing i kind of came up with with these is that they're just well-developed fun and excellently executed characters Mm-hmm. Um, with a plot that is ridiculous, um, but yeah, in, yeah. A, in a in a somewhat plausible way that it just yeah. um, well, make... this this movie had its own style too, which helped. Right, right, but it really has those characters again. I think to National Treasure, you know, you have uh, Nicholas Cage, who's Nicholas Cage, and you have Riley and Riley, and you know, <laughs> characters like that that just you know sell the story. Yeah. Um, and the same with, with this movie, you know, you have, um, the, the basic plot of the movie is there is, um, uh, an American CIA agent and a Russian, I guess he's a KGB, KGB agent in the sixties, in this, in the 1960s, uh, cold war era who are basically forced by their respective nations to team up together after they've already like engaged each other. Within the to last twenty four hours, yeah. yeah, on a completely unrelated incident, yeah, forced to come together to um, basically stop a, a third party organization from 
making and distributing nuclear weapons to mm-hmm. the highest highest bidder. So, yeah. you know, both the U.S. and America, or <laughs> using America, U.S. and Russia at the time, um, you know, had uh, developed nuclear weapons and were kind of, you know, having this, you know, decades-long standoff. Um, but they both, you know, no one really wanted any other countries to kind of, yeah. you know, get into that, that, that game, really. Um, so just it takes something that, you know, a piece of history and says, you know, what if, what if, you know, an, mm-hmm. an American and a Russian, you know, enemies came together for a similar cause. And, <laughs> you know, there's some seriousness that comes out of it, but also they play it for some really well done humor comedy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would call this more of a comedy. Than oh, it anything. is. Yeah. A, an adventure comedy or action comedy, maybe. Action comedy, yeah, adventure action com- comedy. Yeah, yeah, action comedy. Not adventure, yeah. action, yeah. Spy thriller comedy. It, yeah. it kind of, it, it's definitely not a parody of, you know, the James Bond movies or anything like that. But no. you can tell it's definitely, you know, <laughs> poking fun isn't even the right world. It's like a little touch of fun <laughs> towards yeah. it, you know. Yeah. No, because they, they, legit, they do legitimate things as far as like, they're, yeah, they're not poking fun at anything, but it is kind of, it's a humorous look at, it's, well, it's humorous because it's based on these two guys who are literally forced together, who, by their, the nature of their loyalties, are supposed to hate each other. Right. And you're like, okay, now I have to work with you? Okay. And they each have their own ways of doing things, so mm-hmm. they naturally clash. So that's where the humor, I mean, that's where the humor comes from. Right. So it's not so much the... I don't know the spy part. It's their it's their it's, it's inter- their interactions. Honestly, yeah. for most of the movie, their could, dynamics couldn't care less about whether they find the nuclear weapons or, or not. You, you you do ultimately because that's what drives the plot. But it's just seeing seeing their interactions together, which which are which are very humorous. And, and actually, one thing that makes uh, the those characters even that much more interesting is that an American actor, Army Hammer, plays the Russian, and a British actor, Henry, is it Cavill or Cavill? I've heard it. I've heard it both ways. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what he said. He's pronounced his own name in a video I watched recently. I don't remember what um, he said. But anyway, British actor playing an American, mm-hmm. and he he definitely plays the most British American I've ever seen. He definitely got the American accent down, but there's just you know some properness to him. Mm-hmm. You know, very very English gentlemanly as yes, to him and his behavior uh, to his behavior yeah. that you know makes his character you unique. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, even you know these characters are different you know, true nationalities in their own sense are playing completely different nationalities. And I think that's part of the, um, it adds a different level to the humor that you wouldn't have got, I think, if you would have had an American playing the American and a Russian playing the Russian, you know, of course it would have worked. Yeah. But I think there's something a little bit, you know, a little bit different, you know, you know, playing, you know, cross cultures in a way. Mm-hmm. And you've actually worked with, in an indirect Army way, Army Hammer. Hammer. <laughs> have been in the same room as him. On a movie set, yes. Yeah, was yes. that Billy the Early Years? Yes. You were an extra four. Yeah. And Army Hammer played young Billy Graham. He played Billy Graham. So. Yep. Yep. Sat in a, in a well, sat in a cafeteria while he did a scene that I couldn't hear anything of, and then we all sat in a church sanctuary while he preached. Uh, um, I don't know if actually it was a word for word sermon, but yeah, he yeah he was a doing a Billy Graham sermon like yeah. hey, it's Army Hammer. Which you no never idea seen he was the movie have you. I saw a uh, not quite finished version of it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I haven't seen it so, yet. But yeah, I was in a movie with Army Hammer before he was famous. Yeah. <laughs> Back in I guess that would have been two thousand eight. They were filming yep. that. Yeah. Yeah. 
So anyway, that's be kind of beside the the point. Just a kind of, little, yeah. little tidbit, fun fact yeah. in a way. Um, but but again, that this movie really just illustrated the importance of solid, well developed characters, and the reason for that is this: there are so many movies. Well, again, let me take a step back. Plot is one of the most important parts of, of storytelling. You know, you have you know Lord of the Rings, which is you know a very complex story with dozens of characters. But it follows the narrative of you know trying to destroy the Ring of Power you know before it gets the into plot the hands of the enemy. Is fairly straightforward. It is, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You destroy the Ring of Power before you know it falls in the hands of the enemy. Um, the plot of this movie is also you know fairly simple. You know, try to find nuclear you weapons. Work with this guy that you would have naturally hated, and you got to find this thing. And right steal it the one exception is that this plot isn't that unique in the grand scheme of of movie plots you know there's nothing there's nothing special about this that something like this has been done probably literally a thousand times maybe not quite like this but you know find find the weapon that the bad guy has before they you know sell it or use it to destroy the world so yeah nothing too special about this plot but the way the movie is special is again because of the way these characters interact and i think what's even um, more important in this particular story is we get to know these characters um, by the way they interact with each other and that's true for a lot of stories but basically because you have dual protagonists that are antagonists and that doesn't come up too much in movies really yeah um you know they're each other's allies and they're each other's enemies oh, that's yeah. the whole thing okay. you know yeah. you never know are they going to double cross each other yeah. throughout it they're always trying to one-up each other. Which is hilarious. Um, you know, when they, when they the find part. out that they're going to work together, they, you know, get into, you know, a the big, big fight. Yeah, the one-upping is... Well, actually, that's before they find out they're going to work together. Barely like, before. They're, they're, it's like, they're like, before, yeah, before their supervisors are even like, by the way, this is what's going on. They're just, like, forced into just the same space. They're like... Mm-hmm. It's like, so this is going to be kind of a shock. <laughs> and he shows up, you know, like they go at each other. Yeah. But one, well, I think what adds the other interesting dynamic is the girl that mm-hmm. they, their conflict started over with each other started because the American guy goes to get this German girl out of East Germany. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah East Germany. Get over the, get, yeah, get over the wall. And the Russian guy's job is to not, is to make sure they don't do that. They, they don't succeed. And so now they're working together with her because it's like a family connection of hers that they have to get to for right. the yeah. for the nuclear thing. So she's she's an important piece. And so she's kind of the interesting like middleman that they kind of sometimes they not necessarily fight over her, mm-hmm. um, but but the way that she the way that they take care of her involvement is another point of contention sometimes so yeah they're always like right. just a simple act of like picking out her clothes right which so is the first thing they like kind of almost one up each other mm-hmm. over, yeah, which is the, hilarious the, the basic you know other part of the plot is that you know this this girl gabby her um her father who she hasn't seen in you know probably 20 years is apparently forced into working for yeah scientist for this third party to make this nuclear weapon so and yep. her uncle is somehow involved, and she does have contact with her uncle. Right. Or can. And they think yeah. the uncle's, yeah, somewhat involved. So they say, well, we'll use, you know, her, and she's in on it to get to the uncle to hopefully find the father mm-hmm. to stop the weapon from being, you know, made and distributed. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Russian guy um, poses as the fiancé of this German girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of the American guy is, you know, on the side doing his own, he's, own he's, thing. Yeah, he's just there as a art dealer but something i forget exactly yeah an art an art dealer yeah, yeah who 
specializes, I think, in the, basically thievery in a way is how yeah. he puts it. You know. Underneath, yeah. Yeah, it puts Under it a little radar. bit more. You know, I specialize, I think the, I'm going to butcher the line, but I specialize in antiques that are hard to obtain or something like that. <laughs> um, but they, their personalities and who they are comes across really um, because of how they interact to each other in, in an antagonistic you know, although endearing to us, the audience, but in antagonistic ways. And, you know, you know, one of the best ways to know someone's character is, you know, what it takes to um, really get them, get them, get them down. Uh, but even more so than that is, you know, when you're forced into a corner, you know, or put in a what situation that are hard, what, what comes when out? When you're squeezed right. by circumstances, right. what comes out of you? And yeah. you were someone you love and care about all the time. Sometimes it's harder to see character, but if you put, you know, together with someone that you don't care about, it's a little, little bit harder. Mm-hmm. And that's what you do. You, they, they did in this movie. They took these two characters who have to work together that really, they, they hate each other, not because they don't maybe like, wouldn't like each other in real life, but because their nations are enemies. In mm-hmm. at the beginning of the movie, at an unrelated incident, as Kristen mentioned, you know, they were on separate missions where they collided and did try to, to kill, kill each other. Yeah. So there's that antagonism in the past mm-hmm. that, you know, as they're forced to work together, really opens up, you know, who, who these characters are in a way, what, yeah. what makes them, them yeah. tick. Um, why why they're yeah. doing what, what they're doing, which just yeah. makes the movie so much deeper yeah. than it seems on the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, based on that, it's and it's so it's so fun to see a movie that does something out of the ordinary mm-hmm. where you have, you have these basically dual protagonists. Um, you could argue that the American is <laughs> a little bit more the protagonist because the story starts Works. with him. Yeah. Um, but really, as you go through the story, they, you know, the, I would even say the Russian has a little bit of a, a, a deeper motivation for everything. Um, you know, the, the Russian, you know, he's the one whose um, father was sent to Siberia um, and all that because of, you know, in, in World War Two for whatever reason. And yeah, he's got a he's more shamed. emotional backstory. Right. Whereas the American was just like a high class white collar criminal who got mm-hmm. caught. And the CIA decided, hey, you want to work for us instead of going to prison? And it's like, okay. He doesn't yeah. have, like, an emotional backstory. His right. is a is a practical, like, intelligent, you know, backstory. Mm-hmm. And, the, yeah, the Russian has the emotional, like, kind of anger. He has the anger issues. He's the one who was just going to, he'll fight it out instead of, you know, whereas the American's like, well, he has the charms and the, you know, mm-hmm. and the manipulation and all that. Yeah, so, so the, again, American might have a, be a, if you want to be really technical about it, a little bit more a protagonist because it starts with him and the Russian is introduced into his life. But once that, you know, that point hits, they're basically, you know, neck and neck, the, you know, following the same goals, following the same objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, you really, they're given, and not that this is a, a clear indication of who's a protagonist by any means, but they're given, you know, equal, equal screen time. You know, their, their, their story is so intertwined that mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to say, you know, well, this one guy's the main character. This one's the sidekick. You know, I don't think you could say that in this movie. They're both integral to the plot, and if one of them fails, the other one fails. Yeah. Really, and yeah. it's it's they're both are following the same desire track, which is you know very important for stories. They're both mm-hmm. after the same thing. You know, for for different reasons, mm-hmm. um, but also for some of the same reasons. They're both doing it for their country. Their, yeah, the honor of their country. Yeah. For you know, for making sure that nuclear weapons don't fall into the wrong hands. Yeah. Um, 
of course, it's their, their, their deeper underlining reasons that, that differ. You know, the American has to do this because he's forced to by the CIA because of the white-collar crimes he committed. Yeah. And the Russian to basically prove himself. So that that's where they, they differ. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the, in the grand scheme of things, we're following both of these characters down that, that same track. And it's, yeah. again, it's it's kind of rare to um, see a movie like that. I guess a lot of, you know, buddy movies are like that. You think of Dumb and Dumber. Um, you know, yeah. I, I think, you know, Jim character. Jim Carrey's character might be a little bit more of a protagonist, um, just based on, you know, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but, you know, his desires seem a little bit more firmly set up for at least the audience perspective than well, and he's Jeff Daniels. Going after the girl. Right, right. Um, but, but in the grand scheme of things, I think that's nitpicking, although I'm not going to say that any certainty because it's been <laughs> four or five years since I've seen it now. Um, but yeah, again, a lot of those, you know, the buddy type of movies do follow, you know, two protagonists, um, which is, is honestly hard to do. It's hard to write a story that ha- you have two characters that, you know, need to share share the weight of everything yeah. in, in a way. Um, a lot of times it's just easier to relegate one of them to be a side character, and that's not necessarily a bad mm-hmm. thing. I mean, you think National Treasure, you know, this is, you know, um, Nicolas Cage's story. Um, you know, he, he's the one who's following... Um, you know, at least in the first movie, you know, his, his father, his grandfather's footsteps to find this treasure for this family's honor. And Riley is along for the ride. And, yeah. you know, arguably Riley is a little bit more of a fun character, but he <laughs> is the sidekick. He has yeah. his reasons. Every character needs to have their reasons, but he's not, you know, if he fails, Nick Cage doesn't necessarily fail. Things get right. harder for him. Whereas in this story, um, Man from Uncle, you know, if, you know, if the Russian fails, the American likely does too, and vice versa. It's yeah, their 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 destinies are intertwined. Yes, so to speak. Yeah. Um. But even even deeper than than that too is just at least, at least for the Russian is um one particular element that really stood out to me is the watch. Mm, yeah. And do you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, it's just an interesting, it's an interesting little, um, thing thrown in there because one of the, one of the things that, that you have to consider, you know, especially when you have something like this, a dual protagonist is, yeah, the relationship between the two characters, the dynamics and how it, cause you've got, you've got, you know, the story arc, which is an important thing cause there's, you know, a, a, a shape the story has to take, like the plot. You know, and then, of course, the character's arc within it. But then, you know, along with that is the arc of certain relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, how the relationship progresses. Because you've got, essentially, these two who would be enemies who have come together purely because they have a mutual enemy. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, is a common thread to bring people who normally would hate each other together. Right. If you have a mutual enemy, it's like, well, you'll be my ally. For now. Know, for now. But, you know, because they have... You know, they have this similar goal to stop these is Italian. It's an Italian company, right? I think yeah. so. From, you know, succeeding in this nuclear project. But also each of them has their own separate mission um, directive from their higher ups to to not only, you know, of course, stop everything, but steal this disc that has... The data for the nuclear The data, stuff. and basically each one is told, you better bring it back to our country and, you know, better not, kind of, or else, like, don't let the other guy get it. And they're each told, you know, if you need to, kill the other guy. <laughs> so it's like, mm-hmm. they're told it up front with, to each other, you know, and with everyone there, it's like, you're working together. But separately, they're told, if you need to kill him to get what we want, 
do it. Mm -hmm. So it's like, but you know the way it's going that that's the story can't end up that way. Right. So there's got to be something that that takes the relationship on like a on a on a journey like on this kind of that makes it change a little bit. Right. And and it and a, you, emotion really is the best way to bond. Mm-hmm. It's the only way to bond with someone is to have some kind of emotional connection. And it starts with of course um the Russian guy Ilya he's got the emotional backstory with his dad. And so he has this watch that it was his father's and he's, you know, he loses it near the beginning when he, he and his quote fiance, the girl, um, get mugged. Right. In... Well, it's kind of the American's fault because, you know, he says there's these muggers down the road. He says, you can't fight back or your cover will be blown. Well, and well, it's just a legitimate, it's legitimate right, reasoning. Right. He says, you know, people think you're just an architect from, you know, Russia. I said, so if you display these abilities, they're going to get suspicious. So you can't like just be like, be a normal person getting mugged, not a KGB member getting mugged. And so the result, of course, of which is the muggers steal his father's watch and he's just mad about it. And he, some, and so he, as, as he's as they're going through things and they're he he never obviously never lets go of that so he's constantly i forget what triggers him to start looking for his father's watch but i know when they they break into that nuclear facility mm-hmm. and he sees this guy and he was like i forget if he recognizes one of the muggers first and then so. looks for the watch or i know at one point i know there's one scene where he sees a watch and he's like i thought it was my father's it's not you know, and then, after he takes this guy yeah. out to get it. <laughs> well, he, I mean, he, yeah, he basically put, makes him unconscious. Yeah. But then, you know, and then another another point, he's like, All right, I think at a different moment, they recognize one of the muggers. But anyways, in the end, it's the American guy. It's Napoleon who finds on someone, I think it's near the very end. It is, yeah. And he actually finds the watch. I don't know what, what lengths he goes to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but... And, and it kind of becomes, at the end, this way of almost bonding them. Mm-hmm. Whereas, and it's almost at the moment where the Russian guy is kind of ready to take him out because of, I forget why, something, he's it angry. It's the disc. He knows that the American has that disc right, advantage. And he's right, right, right. And he fulfilled this objective. Yeah, and yeah. You have this standoff moment where it seems like a standoff the way the, the cinematographer It's a very understated, it. it's subtext. Right. Yeah. But it looks and, like the Americans are going to grab a gun and spin around, and at the end he tosses him his watch. He's like, I found this for you. Yeah. And so it's, it's that moment that finally kind of breaks down the barriers, and it's like, okay, there's something deeper there than like just this he, mission. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, they've each done something for each other. Right. That's kind of bonding. Like, you know, the Russian essentially saved the, saves the American guy's life mm-hmm. when after he kind of gets captured and is nearly tortured to death. And then, you know, so, I mean, that's a lot more serious than, like, I found your father's watch. But, but to, to the Russian guy, it's, the Russian, just, it's as equal, just as it's important. Just, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So they've each done something for each other, mm-hmm. you know, at least one thing. Right. Um, well, and it's, it's, a, it's a great yeah. um, way of setting up what's called, um, one technique is called the smoking gun. It's, you mm-hmm. know, if, say, for example, uh, this is a pretty common term among storytellers that if... You know, if you, if your hero uses you know his his you know six shooter to save the day at the end of the of the movie, you better show that gun at the at the beginning of the movie. You know, if it just kind of materializes out of nowhere, it's mm-hmm. like well where'd he get that that gun? It kind of becomes a 
you know, a convenient coincidence yeah. in a way. Yeah. Um, but if, again, if you show it from, you know, act one or at least early on, earlier yeah. on in the movie. Yeah. So, okay, we know that was there for a purpose. It was set up yeah. to be used. Yeah. And this is what they do with this, this, this watch, this watch, this, you know, just little tiny device is the climactic bonding moment for mm-hmm. these, these characters. And we yeah. set it up, um, you know, not, not quite in act one, but I think early into act mm-hmm. two, the, the importance of. Yeah. of this and just kind of briefly mentioned it yeah. a couple other times to remind the audience that it is important yeah and it used that as a catalyst to bring these characters yeah. together in emotionally true yeah um, elements rather than yeah. just you know what could have been this oh you know, you helped me i helped you pat on the back let's be friends yeah. which would have not worked at all yeah yeah it delves yeah. into the characters deep deepness you yeah know, of who they are yeah it's essentially the smoking gun thing it's essentially if you well and you could also argue it as if I think the way I've heard it said is is if someone lays a gun out on the table it better it needs to be used mm-hmm. like if it's if it's made if it's something that's made more show of than just like you know someone just putting you know like putting things down like if it's if it's a deliberate if it's a deliberate action or or story moment with like a prop that might otherwise be Mm-hmm. meaningless it's like it has to mean something unless you're using it for misdirection yes which i know i think spielberg is kind of known for in a good way for doing that i remember when i saw his uh, 2005 war of the worlds you know back in the day mm-hmm. um there's one part early on where tom cruise's daughter you know says look look at this i got this splinter or something like that and the rest of my movie i'm like when is the splinter going to come up again i think it's this huge important thing yeah, which which could be annoying in some ways, but also it kind of I think he did a good job in it, maybe just because he's he's Spielberg, and yeah. we're not. Um, but you know, kind of putting the audience a little bit on edge. You know, is this going to be important? Is going to wound going to fester or anything like that? Yeah. Again, you don't want to overdo misdirection, right? By any means. Yeah. But you know, it has to have a purpose, like you're saying, Kristen. You know, either has to be used, or it has to be used for misdirection or for something. Yeah. In, in a way, and that doesn't necessarily mean that every single prop used in a movie for oh, that. Oh no, no, no. But anything it, it's called it's, attention to. Anyway. Yes, yeah, that's a good way to put it. If you if it's called attention to, like the watch was. I mean, it was. It wasn't because it wasn't just the oh, he stole my father's watch. It was like it came up again and then it came up again and you're like, okay, this watch. Right. And <laughs> Something it, is gonna yeah. happen. You know. And then it used to bond these. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Enemies really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing we want to talk about that this movie just does such a good job with is the dramatic irony Gosh, yes. of it all. It's so well, and and if it's if dramatic irony is something that you, uh, first of all, if you know what it is and you kind of really understand it, like it really kind of hits you. Yeah, we'll like, describe a little me. bit about dramatic irony. Well, yeah, irony. dramatic irony is um, is when the audience knows something, or the reader, if you're reading a book, knows something that the character or characters don't. Um, either something that they never find out or something that you find out before them. And I feel like it's hard to use. I feel like it's probably harder to use in a book. Um, just, I guess just because it kind of requires more exposition, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, description stuff. Movies can be so and it's a lot visual, easier either on stage or film because you can see things that the characters don't. Yeah. And it, and it plays to a lot of, I think a lot of times it's played for humor more yeah. so than tragedy. Um, and in this movie, very much so. Like, there's there's so many moments where, you know, even just the beginning chase and things, like, you know, you know, when so-and-so shoots at this guy, like, the audience sees before the other ones find out, like, oh, he's not actually dead. Like, he pretended, or he's, you know, this one disappeared, but he doesn't know it. And um, 
but it's just throughout the movie they're just you know I think the the funny the two moments that I think are played most for humor is when um they've broken into that facility right and they set off the alarm and escape or are trying to escape and they end up in a boat um getting chased getting by... chased around the Russians driving the boat getting chased by their security and you know uh, Napoleon falls out. The American falls out. Yeah, and and the Russian guy doesn't notice, and he's still driving around, and 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 Napoleon kind of climbs out onto the dock and gets into this truck, and no one's noticed because it's dark, and he sits there and he finds turns on the radio to classical music. He finds someone's lunch with like bread and cheese and wine and a sandwich, and it's just he's and he like starts having this like dinner. Like this, you know, midnight snack with this soothing music, and in the background with the, of like the, the camera shot, mirror. you can just see the the chase still going on, and it's like this, um, it's like this. He, I guess, kind of, he doesn't really know that what is still going on. He probably assumes, right. but it's there's explosions going on in the background. Yeah, things. And... Yeah, the shots firing and things exploding and just mass chaos. Whereas. In the mainframe, you know, the Americans just enjoying this nice picnic in the really? truck. And it's so, and it's humor. And then the other one, you know, the one where they, where the characters truly don't know what's going on. Like I said, in that moment, he probably could have guessed that they were still chasing each other around. But right. he's not watching it. Right. He doesn't actually know the the status of what's going on. Mm-hmm. He's just like, well, they're you know they're doing something. It's like yeah. I'm just sitting here eating. Yeah. It's like, but we can actually see it. Right. But the other one is after the Russian rescues the American from the torture that old Nazi doctors torture electric, electric chair, chair device, <laughs> and they strap him in it. And of course, yeah. you know they've set up the joke about it has a short in the wiring. So sometimes when you press the button to start it, it doesn't go. And so they've pressed the button, you know, to try to torture him, but it doesn't work. And then after he talks to them, they go out into the other room to talk about what to do. And meanwhile, in the background, the wiring has fixed the short and it turns on and the guys are talking and... They're, they're talking about what to do with the guys. Like, do we let him live? Like, you know, do we, we take him... him with us? Like... Then, yeah, he'd be given immunity because of what he knows. And he doesn't deserve that because he's a Nazi war criminal. So we should, you know, probably kill him. But it, the, the right thing to do would really be to let him live in, in the Meanwhile, background. Meanwhile, in the background, he's, like, getting... Basically, he's catching on fire. He's Because the, the electric, electricity, not only has it turned on, but it's gotten so overheated that it's caught on fire. And he's, yeah, basically on fire and yeah. it's it just it's this again this visual frenetic chaos in the background whereas in the foreground it's like this calm like conversation like oh she do this like deliberating this man's fate when it's being decided for them right. and then of course the humorous moment when they turn around and they're like oh oh well yeah. <laughs> it's just this casual and i think the response is the jacket was in there oh yeah <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. That's yeah. Okay. that's okay that's my jacket <laughs> But so just the things like that, the dramatic irony that mm-hmm. I think the only time that it's switched up on the audience is when the girl. Right. Um, Maybe you shouldn't spoil it. No, well, no, I just, but she's, it's the scene, the scene where she, she's having a conversation with people 
the people that she's been trying to get in with. Mm -hmm. And we don't actually know what she says, but clearly, like, the Russian guy at the moment who's listening hears everything, and you see his reaction, and you're like, okay, what in the world did she say? And it's only a few minutes later that we find out everything that happened. That's, I think, the only time that we are left out of the loop. Right. But and it worked in that in that case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, and the dialogue is just so witty throughout the whole thing. It's just, you know, I mean, again, <laughs> playing the American against the Russian is going to be, if done well, it's going to be funny anyway. Right. Um. You know, but it's. I'm not going to say too much about it because I really think you should. You know, if you're interested at this point, you know, watch the movie and just get a taste of, of the good dialogue. But it's without going into a big long discussion. Um, because we need to wrap this episode up in a few minutes. Um, it's. It's just, it's just well done. It's, you know, it's, it's true to what we would expect a 1960s, a little bit of an exaggeration be in a way, mm -hmm. you know, it's, yeah. again, I kind of doubt that it's, you know, quite like that, but it's true to our perception of it, yeah. which works for something that's never meant to be historically accurate by oh, any yeah. means. Yeah. Um, but one thing I want to touch on, which I always love doing, because my, my background first and foremost is, is in, um, you know, video filmmaking and, and things like that. Um, and I do want to talk about the director, Guy Ritchie, um, mm. a little bit, who um, is really most famous for um, the two Sherlock Holmes movies with uh, Robert, Robert Downey Jr. Jr. and um, Jude Law. And uh, I guess he's really kind of excelled with the, the buddy movie type of thing. Oh, yeah, um, that's Sherlock true. Holmes, again, he really is the protagonist. You know, yeah. Jude Law's character, you know, Watson, is, is the sidekick um, for sure. But he's really perfected the the two characters who, you know, are somewhat at odds with each other working on on missions. Mm -hmm. And his Sherlock Holmes influences have definitely come through. You know, I, th I think it'd be hard for a filmmaker to go through two of those movies yeah. and not be influenced for future things. Right. And he actually has um, a scene in The Man from Uncle that is almost exactly like a scene from Sherlock Holmes' I don't Game think of Shadows. I noticed that. It's early on um, when. The, it's not even a scene, it's a moment of a scene. Um, when um, uh, Napoleon and um, so the American and the Russian, I always forget how to pronounce the Russian. Ilya. Ilya um, sat down you know, in a cafe with the, C the CIA and the KGB and said, you know, this is your mission. You know, we'll, we'll give you a moment to discuss it amongst yourselves, to get to know each other. And then they stand up and then everyone else in the cafe stands up and leaves. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, and Sherlock Holmes A Game of Shadows early on in that movie um, when Moriarty is, you know, talking to Irene Adler and he says, we need to talk. And then he clinks his glass and then the entire restaurant gets up and leaves. Yes. And I just, I just kind of found that funny because I mean, as, as a storyteller, <laughs> you know. And Jared Harris is in both of those that, That's true. <laughs> but as, as a storyteller, there's things that, you know, we always want to innovate. We never want to do the same thing twice, you know, without, if we can help it. But some things just work well. Yeah. You know, I mean, like you mentioned, you didn't, you didn't notice that this time. So I think no. it, was, it was different, different context, yeah. slightly different context. Um, you know, different yeah. time period. One's an inside restaurant, one's an outside cafe. Yeah. But it's always fun to see, you know, filmmakers almost glimpse into their mind a little bit to see, you know, the mm -hmm. things that, that work for them. And again, yeah. you know, no filmmaker wants to you know, replicate themselves entirely. No. But you're always going to, you know, you know, Peter Jackson's going to do Peter Jackson things. Spielberg's going to do Spielberg things. Christopher Nolan's going to do Christopher Nolan things. <laughs> Very much you know, and, Nolan and Guy Ritchie, you know, I mean, he has the things like the, the turning, rotating camera. Um, that he perfections Sherlock Holmes that he does here for action scenes, you know, here and there. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just, it's cool to see, you know, yeah. just a slight glimpse into the minds of the filmmakers when you see, oh, I saw yeah. how they, they did that, you know, this yeah. movie and this movie. And, um, you know, just little, little tiny elements. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And I will say one thing regarding the actual filmmaking that I'm sure Guy Ritchie had a huge, huge part to play in the creative decision was that I thought was neat is that I feel like only this movie could have gotten away with some of the visual editing and storytelling techniques. The one that I feel like there was more than one example, but the one that stuck out to me the most was that montage at the end of them breaking into not not the not the two of them breaking into the facility, but the whole like raid, like almost oh, by SWAT the team, Americans almost and... like SWAT team like raid, right? Um, on the on the actual nuclear facility, um, is told it not just a montage, which montages can be extremely cliche and overdone, right. oh, yeah. and it's you know. But, um, but with all the, um, the, the way they separated the pictures, they mm. had like sometimes two or three different pictures with those lines. Kind and it was tw- very slightly 24 style. Yeah. Slightly. But, but it was very almost art deco, like sixties. Mm. It was very almost like sixties. Right. Slightly true art. style. It was like you were time. watching a sixties art like exhibit. But with moving right. pictures, the and screen it was like, wasn't just split in half. It like had diagonal lines, yeah, and horizontal lines, and, and yeah, it was trapezoids, and, and yeah. it was just. I was like, only this movie could get away with that, right? And well, it does it near the end. They do something like that a little bit in the middle too. When they're I think that's around. probably what I'm thinking um, of. But they but... they definitely built to to that that point. Yeah. Um, which the action scenes of this movie, kind of like in Sherlock Holmes, they were so well done. It's just. Uh, battle fatigue, action fatigue is so prevalent in movies and it can just be ex- exhausting. It really is hard to do action scenes in a way that's compelling and emotionally resonating and honestly just fun. And uh, I'm, I'm definitely not making a case for practical effects versus visual effects here because they both have their place. And mm-hmm. used in conjunction a lot of times is one of the best ways to do it. Um, but they did do a lot of practical effects in this movie. Including dropping a truck chase. onto a boat. Right, um, <laughs> but just the way they, they treated these action scenes almost like a, a dance in a way, the way that things were choreographed, um, the way we're introduced to these characters, um, the American and the Russian, is through um, uh, uh, really a, a car chase, mm-hmm. and the way these they choreograph literally the cars chasing each other is almost like a dance, mm-hmm. and it, I think it's meant to um, give a little bit of foreshadowing into how these two characters will interact um, later on, and if you watch the behind-the-scenes features, they did shoot a lot of that that practically. Yeah. Um, I will say it's probably the most creative car chase I've ever seen, just because it it's not just there's not, frantic. There's not a lot of uh, Bim Bam Smash, like the Born Supremacy <laughs> soundtrack <laughs> right, title is. Right, I mean, which is a great, fun car chase, but, like, you know, most car chases are... It's not chaotic. It, well, no, it's very thought out. It's very methodical. Even though you, they are have the driving at high speeds moments, they right. they have they have different tactics to try to get at each other. Um, and then you know when something goes wrong, like their car crashes or whatever, it's like they have something else to turn to. You mm-hmm. know, and it's just a, it's I think it's probably a pretty it's probably one of the most creative right. car. I guess chase. I can't even call it just purely a car chase scene. It's a chase scene. I call it car dance. <laughs> car dance. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it's fun too because that that really does bookend the movie. You know, uh, there's another car chase at the end of the movie. Um, <laughs> I don't even know if you can call it car chase. It's oh. it's the one of the villains who has the German girl hostage in like a jeep, in a almost. jeep being chased by the American and 
a buggy for another way to put it like <laughs> an off-roading an off-road buggy in heavy the duty, yeah. Russian on a motorcycle <laughs> yeah. but it, it's cool yeah. how you know you you start out the movie with these two characters literally chasing each other in a car chase to then the end of the movie them chasing another the character, bad guy together yeah. it really does bookend the story yeah. which was really really clever mm-hmm. um, so it's really all that to say everything we've talked about here you know it's just it's fun when you take a um, a filmmaker like Guy Ritchie, who's a good filmmaker, mm-hmm. you know, and he he takes a story that honestly the story this movie should have been awful, you know, just the the basic premise of it, you know, and the way that Hollywood makes movies have, today it been has the, had a, a major potential of just ruined, totally yeah. being being awful. But there's so much more to it than that. If you you know look dig deeper into who these characters are, how the story is told, mm-hmm. I was so surprised when you know just we really delved into it and see how much you can learn about storytelling. Again, Kristen's like, we should do a podcast episode of this, and I'm like, uh, I don't You're know like, how really? much we can learn about this one. <laughs> and that's just you know my own fault there. You know when we really took the time to you know talk about it and think through it. Yeah. You know it's it's a clever, well done movie that you yeah. really can learn learn a lot from more yeah. than some other movies. Yeah. And, and you know they're again. It is kind of devoid of a lot of deep themes, right? But a story doesn't need to have a super deep theme in order to still no. teach you about storytelling well, no. and for it to also be a, a good time. Because with the story. You no, know, because it's one of those things where it's I think it's a good example of how characters can shape a story sometimes more than the plot, right? Because like I've said, it plot simple, straightforward, and really on its surface and you know to its base core has been used a lot. So when it, you have a plot that's so simple and basic, it's the characters that have to carry the weight, you know, and really shape the experience, right. you know. Whereas if you have a really complicated plot, then you don't need to put as much weight on the characters and their relationships. Which is a flaw in and of itself, really, to, mm, yeah. to an extent. I mean, there's some well, know, yeah. movies that collapse because they have this integral plot, but they don't have the characters to Yeah. Well, and it's, I think it's because it. as humans, we connect to people, not to right. events, connect to people more than events right mo- most of the time yeah um, not yeah. not always there are definitely exceptions to that but they're really like like most things in storytelling there needs to be a, a good balance of it you know plot influences character and character influences plot you know mm-hmm. that's one of the you know the foundational elements of of storytelling it's yeah. one of those never-ending circles in a way that you know as you need both <laughs> as characters develop the plot changes and as plot changes those characters better develop you mm-hmm. know it, you know at least eventually yeah they, they can't remain stagnant um or if they do we talked a little about this in the last episode like captain america and the winter soldier you know he doesn't change but he has to come to terms and grasp you know grasp you know is what i believe going to hold true mm-hmm. the, the world around him changes mm-hmm. um and he's almost the catalyst for that mm-hmm. um so again either the protagonist needs to change or he needs to be the crux of everyone else's change yeah, yeah. um ultimately so we thoroughly enjoyed Man, Man from Uncle. Also, has a great soundtrack, which we won't get into now. Um, but it's one that you know I think you can learn learn a lot about, about storytelling through in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, thank you for listening uh, to today's episode of the Seeking Stories podcast. Uh, again, Seeking Stories is a part of the website SeekingStories.com, and the purpose of Seeking Stories is always to encourage the writers and storytellers to tell epic stories with excellence. And through the podcast, we do so uh, primarily by uh, examining real stories and how they work. So again, thank you so much uh, for watching, and we'll hope you'll turn in next time. <laughs>